Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. We are back. We are back in the building, and I am not a Mr. Host. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go reverse reverse psychology if there is such a thing, and I'm just gonna go right off the bat that we have had no technical difficulties so far. Absolutely smooth sailing. Direct connect working like a charm. I can hear you clearly. You can hear me clearly. It's gonna be a show with no technical difficulties. What say you? And maybe our host has no opinion on the matter. Uh, we're going, we're going safe. Maybe the host is playing it safe. Uh, let me introduce. Uh, today is a very special day. Uh, we are introducing a show topic where we actually have a guest on whom we are very excited about hearing from. Uh, hopefully, all of our listeners uh, will be in for a real treat today. The phone number, of course, is area code six four six five six four nine nine zero nine. Again, that's 646-564-9909. If you want to call to listen into the show live, uh, or if you'd like to call in and actually potentially ask our uh, guest of honor today uh, some questions if you've got them, or if you want to call in to uh, participate in the Recovery Sport Time segment, which is at the back half of the show, but just want to listen until then, that is the number to dial. Uh, and so we're going to make it happen. we got a full show on tap today. Lots of things to discuss and get to, but again, very excited about our special guest. Uh, Mr. Host, 
how are we doing this afternoon? Can you hear me? Am I have I jinxed us already? Mr. Producer. There we go. We've got him. We've got him on the air. Uh, were you able to hear my my preface to that entire episode there? I heard everything you said, but I didn't know that you didn't hear my response to your question. <laughs> we, I, I take it all back. Uh, I take it all back. We do. See, we have actually gotten to a point where we are prepared for such things, and so... Uh, the host already had the backup plan on the switchboard. And uh, c- can you hear me now loud and clear? I can hear you loud and clear. Yeah, but I'm going to just um, test switching back to my actual headset, and then you can just tell me if it's working or not. All right, let's you do gotta, it. You, you have to um, move me back live on the main switchboard, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, there we go. Mr. Host, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Absolutely, absolutely. Good. So, uh, what on earth was that? Tell me that was a user error, because I don't want this to be a sign of things to come. I cannot 100% definitively <laughs> say that it was not. As you know, my, my the headset cable is very long, and I rested in my lap, and it has controls on it, and sometimes I inadvertently hit it. All right. I can't say if that happened or not. I will not <laughs> right. be copying. I can't cop at the moment. That's a hey, that is okay with me as long as we can't definitively say we are going into another show that will be riddled with technical difficulties. Uh, beautiful though. Welcome, welcome in. Uh, I introduced our guests uh, or, or the listeners, I should say, uh, to the topic of the day, which would be kind of a surprise, but that we have a guest to honor that everyone is going to have the privilege or the treat of listening to, and then uh, that we're keeping our fingers crossed that it'll be a smooth one, and I hit him with the phone number. All right. So All let right. me just so we're go gonna... back. Let me go back and answer your original question about yes, sir. our experience, which is why, and our listeners from our last show know that we're moving over from this current platform to a new platform, um, hopefully. Uh, this will be our last show on this platform. And then hopefully um, by at least the middle of October, we will be ready with, to go live on the new platform after we test it, like we did when we first started. We did a month of testing, and then we went live on it. So that's what we want to do. Um, and this is the reason why. It's because of the technical difficulties with the blog talk. So it has nothing to do with us unless it's user error, which it's only been one time. It's been user error. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, um, True enough. But we're like, like what I was going to say to you is like we're, we're like a 747. We have backups and redundancies, so just in case. 
Yeah, that's right. Things that are built in just in case of things that go wrong, just in case those things go wrong. So right. Beautiful. All right. Well, we are gonna. Uh, we do have a couple of things that we want to get to before we bring our guest on. So let's move into the first segment. And I'll uh, I'll actually let you speak on this, uh, Mr. Roach, our host here. But I do want to say, um, as basically I would imagine everybody knows who lives in this country, that today is uh, is a day in history that many Americans will never forget. Uh, it is the anniversary of the 9/11 attack, and I know that hits home to many many people that might be listening, or many people out there, and and it might hit home more so for some than others. Uh, I know it was a very traumatic and, and shocking event for the country. However, our host being from the East Coast and, and a New York, a part of the New York contingent, um, having that be his home, that it was probably a little more near and dear to you than some of us who have lived on the West Coast um, our entire lives, where for us it was just, hey, this is, this is big news and it's a terrorist attack and, and it's a very sad thing, um, but might have hit home closer for our host who is, uh, from New York. So what would you like to say on the matter during this anniversary? When I first moved to California, um, my mother specifically and the, and others in the family didn't realize or would forget that we're three hours behind them. Um, and so she would call me at what she thought was 8 o'clock her time, which was really 5 o'clock in the morning my time. So I had to remind her numerous times, you know, hey, can you wait till 11 o'clock your time to call me? And I could just picture her standing by the phone, <laughs> counting down the minutes until it was 11 o'clock to hit me with an 8 o'clock phone call. So yeah. as they got used to that, it became highly unusual, very rare for anyone to call from that part of the country to us out west here, you know, before 8 o'clock. Sure. So when my sister called me that morning, and it was about 6.40-something, I want to say, um, and, you know, so when, you, when you're not expecting calls that early in the morning, obviously, you know, you're, all your family's on the, back on the East Coast, obviously, you don't want that to happen because you don't want to be thinking like it's something, you know, important or an emergency. Right, so when, right, right. So when, so when she called me and she just got right into it and said, hey, uh, a plane, you know, hit the World Trade center instinctively i said to myself wow you know a small a small private plane must have went off course from a tour or something and, and ran into the building and she said no it was a commercial airline i said what and so i ran into the living room and flipped it on uh the news and that's when you know all hell broke loose now uh, my sister works in downtown manhattan and you know she's a true blue New York City, never leaving. You know everyone else has left in the family. She's not going anywhere. And that was the first time ever that I heard fear, concern in her voice. And that was before the towers came down, by the way. Hmm. So this was just after the planes hit and all that stuff. And so after the towers went down, we lost communication. And eventually I spoke to her later in the afternoon, and she told me how they had to walk miles, and then they you know, caught a van, and then walked over the Brooklyn Bridge, and, and all kinds of uh, craziness. So yeah. Yeah, she, it, it was very traumatizing. And then not only was that day traumatizing, but then shortly there, you know, so obviously you have then the next few days of how maximum security 
then there's a relaxation, and then maybe less than a month, a more month and change, the American Airlines jet crashes in Far Rockaway, Queens. Okay? Mm-hmm, and so that mm-hmm. rears everyone back up again, like, you know, what the hell is going on here? And, you know, fortunately they found that that had nothing to do with, you know, terrorism, et cetera. Um, pilot error, unfortunately. But, um, so, yeah, you know, the people who lived back there, especially those who worked in Manhattan, having to deal with, you know, if you recall, back in the first three, four, five years after that, you had the various uh, threat levels, you know, red, orange, and yeah, what have you. Right, and right. And so, you know, people would be, you know, heightened up, relaxed, down, and it was crazy going back and forth. So I think it's been um, a blessing these last few years you know, let's let's say we're in 2018. Let's say the last five to seven years, where you know it's kind of calmed down, the activities calmed down, the security has kind of relaxed a little bit for the citizens of the area, so that they can move about and not see guys with sh- you know shotguns and machine guns patrolling, because that's trauma in itself. I remember the first time back in the 90s when I went to Heathrow Airport, um, and on my way home, walking through the airport um, with my wife and seeing. Uh, you know, the guys walking around with Uzis. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. The first time I saw that. I was like, wow. So, so that was my experience that day. And, uh, it, you know, here we are, 2018. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah, that's something else. So, you, I mean, it's always interesting to speak to people who had. Uh, you know, family there or some sort of direct connection to there because it uh, it makes the event far more real. So mm-hmm. it's not that an event that happens anywhere in the country is not sad for anybody who lives in this country to see some sort of tragedy or some sort of terrorist event where just on a human level, it's something that's very difficult to um, to come to terms with. You know, the Las Vegas shooting is something that comes to mind. Um, for me, I, I was recently in Las Vegas uh, and it was very eerie to walk through Mandalay Bay um, because you know that, you know, so right outside where that concert was, it was kind of gated off and nothing was going on right there. And so for something to happen um, so recently to walk walk through there, by there is kind of a very scary feeling. Uh, but again, so we can all relate to it as humans, but if you don't live in Las Vegas or you're not a member of that community, um, it's not as personal, I guess you could say. And so... Uh, talking to you, right, and hearing you recall something about your family and your sister and crossing the Brooklyn Bridge by foot and how very real it was for, you know, for people who actually lived there, had some sort of connection there. Um, You know, I I can recall getting the news where I was at. I was actually, that was about two months before I actually entered Daytop. And, um, yeah, and I can just remember it being uh, almost surreal. Like, you're watching these news uh, you know, the news flashing the shots and updating as they have them, and you almost can't believe that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, but it happened, and, and very scary. And the only um, the kind of tangible connection I had with it was I actually traveled to New York um, to visit New York. I had never been to New York about a year, uh, let's see, when was it? Maybe in 2002 or 2003, so about a year or two after the event. And what is the one thing 
or, or one of the many things that a tourist is going to do who's never been to New York? What's the one thing we want to see? Well, what, what I wanted to see was the Statue of Liberty, right? Everybody who goes to New York needs to take a little boat out to the Statue of Liberty and do the Statue of Liberty tour. And I recall going uh, to purchase tickets, wherever you had to purchase tickets to do that, and they had canceled all the tours and were not selling any tickets and were not allowing people to go and visit um, because of the terrorist attack. So because of whatever kind of security measures uh, they were taking at the time to protect whatever they felt like they needed to protect. And so to this day, I've still never uh, seen the Statue of Liberty in person. Uh, and so that, that was one way. And I thought, wow, this is uh, almost two years after the fact. And there, you know, there's still um, major kind of ramifications that are taking place as a result of this event. So uh, definitely go ahead. I was going to say a couple of things. One, that morning when I eventually went into to work at, at the Redwood City facility and um, we, we got, you know, school starts there. It started some morning meetings at eight o'clock school started let's say about nine ten. so i got there pretty much at like quarter to nine and we you know the family was already in the in the in the school building and that's where we kind of convened everybody we had the tv on and we kind of just had a little i don't know session if you will with the family the adolescents at least um just to uh hear what they had to say and what the experience was for them and so on and so forth. And then we kind of just went about our business, you know, trying to just normalize the day. Um, the other thing is I, I feel you on the, 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 the collateral impacts because when I took uh, my girls and wife back to New York in 2004 summer, uh, part of what we wanted to do was visit the Statue of Liberty. We wanted to go up to Washington, D.C., visit the White House and all that stuff. And we, yeah. I mean, the closest we could come was on a boat ride to see the Statue of Liberty. And the closest we can come to the White House was walking by. You know, you couldn't, there were no tours back then during that right, time. Right, they right. They canceled everything. So um, that that was one of the uh, unfortunate collateral impacts. Sure. But here oh, we are. Oh, shoot. Here we are. Yeah. Well, always important, at least to mention it or remember the day, um, you know, because it is it is a day that obviously uh, for many reasons, both, uh, you know, both negative and, and historical and educational uh, day that is going to be remembered in American history forever, certainly. So uh, mm -hmm. important to touch on. So we'll move right along to our second topic before we get to our guest. Always a fun one for us. And uh, we all we all know what that sound means. <laughs> we can make this quick. I'm uh, I'm zero and one, and you're uh, you're one and three. Is that how it works? How about them Cowboys? Yeah! <laughs> so, oh boy. Let me just say real quick that um, <clears throat> I was in danger of the dreaded trifecta. Of course, that means for those who don't know, my New York Giants. Dallas Cowboys and New York Jets all losing, but the Jets came through. And I'll just close by saying I think they finally, uh, since Joe Namath retired, they finally found a quarterback. I know there it's early, but I'm just saying. Yeah. 
Well, I was going to say, it actually kind of works out well uh, that we're going to do the segment kind of quick this week and then maybe get back to it two or three weeks from now uh, so we can actually have a sample size because uh, it's, a, it's a very cliche thing after week one completes in the NFL. You already have the Super Bowl contenders and the people looking at the number one draft pick next year. We already <laughs> want coaches fired. So it's a exactly. very, very much a, a climate of overreacting. Uh, yep. But that was the one thing I wanted to ask you about was seeing that rookie who, of course, is his first pass in the NFL as a pick six. Uh, right. Pretty thick skin to bounce back from that. But you liked what you saw, at least in the highlights, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I liked right. what I saw in preseason. Okay. So. All right. There you have it. There you have it. You wanna you want to introduce sure, the star of the sure. show today, as it were? Sure. So um, our guest today um, – I'll just say her first name because uh, we need to confront her on something regarding her last name um, because we her last name was something else uh, and it's now something else. And Mr. Producer, when we do bring Kenya on, uh, we'll have to hold a contest just between me and you to see if we can properly pronounce the last name. Um, okay. Her, current, her last name now. Um, so uh, Kenya um, worked for for Daytop, um, I want to say a couple of years, and and, and um, was integral in the the foundational development and and whatnot of the voice program, which I think started in 1998. That's what I want to say, if memory serves me correct. Um, so she worked with our young girls, and um, let's bring her on. Let's stop me babbling. Let's just bring her on. Bring her on. Absolutely, Kenya. Can, can you hear us? I can. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. So, Welcome to the show. Thank you. So, oh, Kenya, this is Orville. Hi, how are you? Nice to hear you again. Hi, Orville. How are Hi. you? Hi. Good. Thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, so, we knew you as Kenya Bradford. You did. Uh, and so, Mr. Producer, I want you to go first. Uh, Oof. How, how do you pronounce her last name? <laughs> uh you know, I'm going to – wow, we'll say – we'll go with Asa. Could it be Asa? Okay, that's your guess. I'm going to go with Isa. Okay. So, um, Chris, good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> so you. Thank you. So it is Asa. However, okay. I do have to say, um, everybody that says Aisa is also correct because uh, my husband's um, culture is Spanish Basque, and the, the the real pronunciation is Aisa, but his whole family says Asa, and oh, they've nice. always said Asa. So we go by okay. Kenya Asa. Perfect, beautiful. Yeah, I was just going Asia and dropping the last A there. So I just a right. lucky guess. Dropping the last I. Okay. That I have heard, I've heard every possible. You know, Bradford is much easier. And mm-hmm. so, sure, sure. you know, after I left um, working at Daytop, I went to work for Alameda County, and I spent a lot of time in the court system. And you would not believe how, like, the court officers who've known me for years and years would still pronounce it a CC, a CIA. <laughs> I, I was like, what is a CC? How did, how did you even come up with that? So I understand that it is not the easiest. It's not as easy as Bradford. <laughs> now, not on your actual book, but on the yeah. document that your publicist sent out, 
Do you know that the mm. name, last name is spelled incorrectly? I no. <laughs> it is because that's how I looked at the cover of the book and I said, okay, that's the appear that I'm guessing that's got to be the correct spelling. And somehow the other spelling that's on the document that was sent got on 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 our Facebook page and whatnot. And I said, all right, how do you pronounce that? Is that Aisha, Aisha? Because the I is at the uh, end. It was spelled A S S I A. So, but yeah. we got it straight. That's, we straightened it out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Welcome again. Now, thank you. Let me just tell you something. So, as I was reading your book, the first yes, thing sir. that came to my mind was that um, I know what you say. Your inspiration, part, you know, your partial inspiration was for the book, and kind of who the book was geared towards, and all that stuff. But as I was yes. getting into it, the thing that just jumped out of me <laughs> is that. This book is for everybody. That was yes. just my, you know, that's just what I got from as I was reading through. And I say, wow, this is not, I, I see who it's geared towards and who it's talking to and who's jumping out of the page mm-hmm. at. But there's no way that anyone can't read this book and get, especially because of the subject, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. pull from it certain things. So let me start with this question, and that is, what was it like for you working with those young girls when you were working for daytime? <laughs> so it was lovely. Um, you know, I still know those girls, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm still in touch with many of them. Wonderful. And, yeah, I love them. They know I love them. I'm always going to love them. And those are my babies. I don't care how old they get. Mm-hmm. And so it was really challenging. You know, I think I even mentioned in the acknowledgments part of the book that, when, you know, when I got the job, I was ecstatic. I really wanted that job. And then I quickly realized when I started working with the girls, that I was a teensy bit in over my head and, you know, because I just wasn't, you know, I was new. I was, I was a new, I was new in my field at that time. And, and so it was amazing. It was challenging. It was, you know, it stretched me in a lot of ways. I'm also very, very, um, I, I, I want to say, I don't want to use the word bossy or controlling. However, sometimes bossing, bossy and controlling, um, which, you know, was challenging <laughs> because I really wanted things to, I wanted the girls to do what I wanted them to do. And I didn't want to uh, take no for an answer. And one time one of the girls ran away and I chased her all over Redwood City. Because I on foot because I was like no no that we're this is not happening this is not the way I wanted it to happen we're gonna finish the work we started mm-hmm. and she's yelling at me the whole time leave me alone leave me alone I'm like oh no no mm-hmm. <laughs> so so you know it was uh, you know amazing my favorite mm-hmm. job ever my okay. favorite job ever for for sure yeah. Was there a time when you, you know, during that experience where like a light bulb went on to you 
for you where you kind of, with all the girls, just collectively, that you determined that you you put your finger on the on the nose of what was missing for them? I don't really know if I can take credit for that because I really okay. think it came out in a conversation with Lene mm-hmm. um, where we were discussing kind of the next steps and in, in the things that I was doing with the girls and the, the little projects that we were doing and, and all of that stuff. And the subject of spirituality came up and I have always been very into spirituality and had at that point read a lot of books prior to working at Daytop, I worked at a bookstore and I had a, a 40, 50 books on spirituality, specifically women's spirituality. And so it was always an, an area of interest of mine. And so when we discussed uh, creating a spirituality group, I said, you know, that's a perfect idea. And then I also realized I, there were so many things that were missing for me in how to work with them on that level. And I spoke to another, you know, um, uh, person who worked there who helped me with some book ideas and, and different things. And so I really had to do a lot of reading and research and just kind of flying by the, by the seat of my pants, really trying to Mm -hmm. figure out what, what would work and what direction to go in. Mm -hmm. Um, and what would work for them on their level and also, you know, help create trust in Mm -hmm. our, because, you know, when you're talking about things like spirituality, you know, a lot of people think of that as religion, you know, and Mm -hmm. I remember having one, one girl who had come from an extremely religious family and she was terrified of even having that conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, because if it wasn't talking about, you know, God or Jesus or whatever, that was, it was really uh, challenging for her. And so, so there were a lot of little hurdles to go through, but it was a lot of fun and a huge learning experience and definitely a life-changing experience for me um, that, you know, obviously (laughs) since I wrote this book, you know. (laughs) What, um, In the beginning of the book, there's a section that you you titled, I think it was, um, What's This Book About? Anyway, (laughs) I I can almost imagine you, you know, mouthing the words. Um, Yes. And it kind of, at least for me, takes the, you know, the edge off of, just like you just said, of when you mentioned spirituality and if you really don't know what does that mean and what is it connected to, um, right. is this about religion, which sometimes puts people back on their heels and their walls up. Um, and it, it, it's, to me, you did a fantastic job of kind of taking that part away. But there's one little word in there, <laughs> which... Which I said to myself as I read over that, I said, damn, I wish I would have thought of that word back when I was, you know, when my daughters were in their formative years. Um, And that's, uh, it's a word I guess you said from uh, Maya Angelou, um, sheroes, how we use the word heroes, but you put a little twist on it and said sheroes. So I really like that. as As a guy who has raised girls only, Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll we'll get into how this 
book connects to that a little bit later. So let me just stop right mm-hmm. there. Mr. Producer, go ahead. I don't want to t- take up the whole conversation. Oh, no. You know, this is actually – it's really kind of interesting for me to sit back and hear about it because, uh, Kenya, when you were working uh, for that program, it sounds like this was maybe a year or two uh, before I actually entered the program myself as a client. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't have entered in the voice program, but the voice program definitely existed uh, while I was here. I actually was a part of the crew as far as residents goes in helping to close or clean out the San Mateo house and, wow. have, and have the voice program brought over to the Redwood City facility and into the, the voice house where it still stands today. So I can remember going over there with, with a crew, maybe three of us, three or four of us mm-hmm. with Lene, uh and looking for uh, Luna, the, the cat, I guess, the, the cat oh that God. was over at, at the San Mateo house for you guys. <laughs> yes, and uh, I remember Luna, yes. Yeah, transporting all that over here. So um, so it's kind of cool to hear hear you talking with Orville about your experience for that time or uh, chasing, chasing clients all over Redwood City because <laughs> uh, I can definitely – definitely relate to some of those stories uh, even when i began uh working for the adolescents uh as an employee but also going through the program uh and having awald one time myself and um you know and we had a uh, who was a staff member then and she's now on the board uh kind of in the same position you were like you know what the hell are you doing and that's not the way it's going to work get back in here and and all that kind of stuff so um just kind of yeah. cool to uh, you know, uh, hear hear that and relive it a little bit myself. But uh, one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, a lot of people have, I guess, aspirations to write a book at some point. Have thought about writing a book at some point. Are definitely uh, inspired to through their life experiences write a book. Um, but with life being what it is, and many of us having families, being married, playing several roles, and wearing many hats. Um, it, it can be, it feel like an impossible task to find the time to do such a thing. Uh, how have you managed to still handle all of the responsibilities that you have in your life and wearing all the hats that you wear, find time to write uh, such, such an awesome book? Well, I wrote this book something like 17 years ago. Okay. And yeah, so it was, <clears throat> I wrote it. And then I, you know, kind of updated it when I decided to finally publish because I was working, I was still working full-time at the county, at Alameda County. Um, I retired a year ago, July. And when I retired, I said, you know, this is the time because way back when I wrote it, it was just kind of a different climate. I just wasn't... I didn't ha- really have the time to do any of the stuff with the book that I felt like I wanted to do. I really okay. wanted to be able to talk about it and have talks about it and, and speak on it and do speaking engagements and promote it and all of the things that I'm able to do now, but I could not do. That was like, you know, I was closing in on getting married at that time and I had, you know, a brand new job and so it was just not the time, and then everything fell into place when I finally was able to to publish it. So I wrote it, and I, you know, I I went on a lot of um, a lot of uh, writers workshops and writers um, conferences. I went to Maui with it. 
um, to the Maui Writers Conference. I won an award with it. I did everything but publish it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that's awesome. That's, that's <laughs> it, it, you know, it's crazy just to think about, um, you know, it was some of us, and so whether it's through work, uh, kind of like our professional development and professional careers that and professional journeys we embark on, or um, even just personal experience growing up and having gone through certain things ourselves as teenagers uh, that kind of shape and mold us into who we are as adults and the things that we can learn looking back. Um, would you say that the the majority of the influence of writing your book came from your kind of professional experiences, or did you incorporate uh, some of your own kind of life experiences growing up as an adolescent uh, girl in this kind of climate uh, help kind of shape or gear the book to where you wanted it to go? A little bit of both. So because I worked with the population that I worked with, both at Daytop and following Daytop, I have a very special affinity for um, girls that have traumas and, and things like that, or girls in the foster care system, which is what I have been working with for the past, you know, 17, 18 years. Sure. And so, you know, so I didn't grow up like that. I, I grew up, you know, fairly easy life. And so, but still, even with that being said, um, and I had a very active spiritual life as, as a child. And so uh, that being said, we still, it doesn't matter when you're growing up or what your experiences are. There are a lot of commonalities when you're growing up a young girl, um, in this country. And so I did a little bit of both. And um, and I've worked with so now, of course, so many <laughs> girls over the past right. many years that I just um, I took a lot of my experiences throughout my career and 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 kind of added them to this book as as time has gone on. And so it's evolved the same way that I've evolved, really. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's so that's re- really powerful. Now, yeah. I'm a mom now, but I've got a nine-year-old boy. And okay. so, um, and it was, it was interesting because, you know, like Orville was saying, he's, he, he, his experience is raising girls and my experience was always um, girls, lots of experiences with girls, girls are my specialty, girls are my passion. I love girls. I am a girl. And then I had a boy and I remember maybe being six or seven months pregnant and literally having a panic attack because I thought to myself, I don't know anything about them. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm about to have a boy. I'm like, what do they sure. do? What do they play with? What, do, you know, I was at a, I was at a toy store and I'm like, I don't know what to buy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I was like, I have Can't. no idea what they do. <laughs> Kenya, I'll be the first to tell you because I have two young grandsons right now, and uh, it is a uh, after you know the home being dominated by women for them to now <laughs> enter the home, uh, it is a world and life changing event. Yes, <laughs> so, it's totally different. <laughs> yes, um, you know we like to fondly look back on that those times in the you know the 90s and even the early 2000s uh 
because it this is just our perspective the you know working with the adolescents really got tough as we moved into the middle you know like 2005 and onward mm-hmm. um it was almost like a generational shift that started to occur <clears throat> And so mm-hmm. even though we were like in the 90s, like, man, this is, you know, this is some hard work here, we started to look back right. and it was like, man, that was nothing compared to what we're doing now. So right. now here we are, you know, we stopped serving adolescents in April of 2014. So mm-hmm. we're, we're four years removed from that. Um, mm. But I like to say in terms of the cultural and generational shift, we're kind of like, almost 15 years uh, or 13, 14 years removed um, from when we started noticing it. But mm-hmm. what would what would you do differently in terms of putting spirituality out there to quote-unquote adolescents today versus when you did it back then? With well, everything that they bring to the table, what's, what they're exposed yeah. to with social media and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually have um, been working – only with kids that are, I'd say, 14 to 21 for the past, well, you know, I retired a year ago, but prior to that, uh, three years, maybe four years, I was working with just that population. And mm-hmm. so I did bring a lot of that into my work, which was, which is really strange, I think, for a, a a county social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is what I knew and what I really believe to be an effective avenue in helping to help young people connect to themselves and to find out who they are and to um, gain some self-respect and to gain some confidence. I felt like that was an avenue that I had learned with um, working with the girls at Daytop and being still in contact with some of those girls and hearing what they've said about that time and our spirituality group. One girl actually sent me a picture of her entire Buddha collection because I had given her a Buddha way back then. And she said, now look at what's happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, you know, and she said, you know, my entire spiritual life that I have now is because of that time. And I was like, whoa, you know, that's crazy. Um, and But I I feel like that it's definitely, it's you know, it's it's what I really felt like was effective because mm-hmm. I am not good enough, smart enough, perfect enough to un- undo a lot of the stuff that has gone on for a lot mm. of the kids I've worked with, I mm-hmm. just am not that much of a badass, you know, like you, you know, the, a lot of the, the kids in the foster care system that I've worked with come from so much damage and so mm-hmm. much dysfunction and so much abuse and all of that stuff. I was like, I'm, I am just the, the, the vessel, you know, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. bringing the tools that I know and that I have learned to the table and providing them with those tools. The work has got to be all them. Um, right. You know, and so that's, that's basically been the way I've worked all of these years. And so, um, and it's worked out pretty nicely. I'm happy. I retired happy. 
and now I get to do this type of thing full time. I get to do mm-hmm. like workshops. I've done a lot of sacred girl workshops for years before mm-hmm. the book was even published, just based on the book, you know, <clears throat> and, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of the type of thing I like to do now. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Producer, I'm just going to shoot another one in there if you don't mind, sir. Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> so how when, – when you introduced this to, the, to, to your girls, so when we say your <laughs> yes. girls, you know who we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, 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 were, what were the reactions you got from A to Z? It, what were the it, reactions? Yeah, so they really were from A to Z. You hit the nail on the head. So we had, I had a couple of girls that were like, yay, this is awesome. I had a couple of girls that were like, oh, no, I'm not interested. Get away from me. Don't talk to me. Um, <laughs> this, this doesn't apply to me. Um, I can't relate to this at all. You know, and so it was the whole gamut. Um, I only had that one girl. There was one girl, and she wasn't actually even in the program for very long. She was, she mm-hmm. was a short, short-termer. Mm-hmm. And, um, but she was, I mean, the fear, she was so fearful. Um, and, and we did have a lot of conversations about where that fear came from. Right. Um, because she did come from kind of a fire and brimstone type of family. Mm-hmm. And, so, um, so I got a little bit of everything, but mm-hmm. for the, as time progressed, they looked forward to it. It was like their favorite thing, you know, mm-hmm. and and plus we also did a whole bunch of, you know, really fun, kooky stuff. You know, we did a lot of dancing and singing and, you know, body work, which is kind of my thing now. I'm a yoga teacher. I was a dancer long before, long before that, um, but now I'm a yoga teacher. And so back then, I mean, it's really a miracle I didn't hurt anybody because I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started doing like yoga videos and stuff, just kind of connecting the body with, you know, being a woman and with the mind, the whole mind, body, spirit connection is something that has to occur. Um, Mm -hmm. I think especially for young women and all the body issues that we deal with. And so that was, uh, that was really, really crucial. And again, I was doing it just out of instinct and some of the stuff that I read about, and I'm like, let's try this and see if it works. Let's try that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I was like, let me use my kids as guinea pigs and see what works here. Um, um, But that was really, um, really a huge, huge, crucial part of it was the whole mind, body connection, mind, body, spirit connection. Right. One of the things, Mr. Producer, I want to go back to real quick. Um, Kenya, we have a tradition on the show that, because me, obviously me and Mr. Producer are both married, and so we sometimes mm-hmm. have to call each other out uh, if something <laughs> is said that uh, may uh, get us in trouble. So I just need to, before I forget, because Mr. Producer did say, as in terms of some of the reasons why many people who may speak verbally or even in their minds about wanting to write a book, you know, life gets in the mm-hmm. way. One of the things he emphasized was about being married. So I just want to make it clear uh, to the listening audience, because our, both our wives listen, that uh, <laughs> it was Mr. Producer who said about being married 
was a, a, a block for him pursuing. Some oh, of his, uh, oh, I think that's <laughs> yes, putting, I heard that too. That's putting I heard a that nasty too. Yeah. twist on that context. Let me tell you, that that is. I don't uh, think I would even take that, Mrs. Chris. Mrs. Yeah. Chris, if you're listening, I don't know. I think Holy being married smoke. might be an asset to spur on the accomplishment of those desires and goals. That's so right, I, Orville. I just that's to, right. Just, just want to put that out there. Anyway, moving right along. Anyway. <laughs> well said. It's now, well it's said. Now, in the, now in the record. Um, <laughs> so, as I said to you earlier, that I believe in reading this book that it's actually for everyone. Um, everyone can learn something about that. And with mm-hmm. that, um, we... Historically, when someone is going through recovery and they reach mm-hmm. a certain point where they say, you know what, I I don't know what it is, I can't figure it out, but you know, I I have I have the intellectual aspect of it. I get I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what I got to do emotionally. I get it, but there's something that's missing. Um, right. And usually. Um, Usually, one of the areas we point them to is, you know, where are you at in a spiritual context? Um, right. And, of course, many automatically kind of equate that with that it's a religious question, and it's not. Um, right. And so, where, if you, how would you recommend, because we're always trying to have that discussion it's sometimes a very sensitive discussion, a touchy discussion in terms of just kind of generally broaching it to the family. How would you recommend is the best way to approach bringing that out to the family so that they can start to talk about spirituality and how they want to, you know, embrace it? Right. And so I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, number one, when I, like, you know, I made clear in the book, when I wrote the book, it was for this population of adolescents. Mm-hmm. What then I found, <laughs> what I found was that a lot of people that were not targeted by the book were really getting something out of the book. And I, I have to admit, I was extremely surprised by that. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, because this is only, the, the book was just released in July. And mm-hmm. so even at my... Uh, book release party, I had two women in their 70s come up to me saying, you know, I had to buy the book because there's a section about it, about shame, you know, and I mm-hmm. had to buy the book because there was a section about this. And I was like, wow. So I'm, I'm still kind of flummoxed by the uh, adults that are really into this book. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, but that being said, one of the things that I tell people and and have told my clients and I've told families is that spirituality is about you personally, internally. And it's about your, like like the, the, the definition says, what makes your spirit breathe? Not what makes your grandmama's spirit breathe. Not what makes your mama's spirit breathe. Not what the pastor says makes your spirit breathe, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, so, so when I talk to people about spirituality, if, if God is, is your spirituality, then fine, we'll work from that place. You know, we'll work from, mm-hmm. from where you're at. But 
if that's not the case for you, as is not the case for many people, you know, um, this country is a melting pot and this is where I'm doing my work, then let's talk about what those things are for you, 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 you and you alone. And it's very, very, it's very, very independent. It's very personal, you know, and so the, the interesting thing Maybe the challenging thing, but also the very cool thing about spirituality is that it's totally up to you, you know, um, because only you know yourself to that depth. And, right. and you know, looking at your spirituality or, or um, exploring your spiritual path is a way just to get to know yourself even deeper and even more. And if you if you get to know yourself in that way, then it's easier for you to move forward and reach kind of those personal goals, baby steps, you know, all of those things can come to you if you're willing to take a look at the things that actually make your spirit breathe. And of course, you know, we, I, I grew up Catholic. I grew up, I went to a Catholic school, you know, I didn't go to church that often because I'm a Berkeley Catholic and we're kind of, you know, hippie type. Um, and so, you know, and so, you know, I did have a, a Catholic school nun that, you know, taught us about meditation and, you know, Eastern religions. And I, she did that all kind of on the under, you know, and all of these things. And so I definitely have kind of an eclectic view of spirituality and an eclectic view and a, 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 about religion. Um, but the whole thing about spirituality is just letting people know this is all about you. It's not about anybody outside of you or your influences or your family. It's all you. Right. Get all that, Mr. Producer? Absolutely. And that's, you know, uh, that might actually segue into the the one other question I wanted to make sure uh, I asked while we have you here was mm-hmm. as far as the the purpose of the book on its whole or – your hope that people would have a particular takeaway. I imagine as, as an author of a book, you have a particular goal in mind. And I know um, you had mentioned a couple of minutes ago that there was at least a demographic you had envisioned that this book would reach and how you were surprised that having uh, attended um, uh, an event for your book that folks were approaching you that were outside of the demographic that you had envisioned um, this book having reached. So all, all that said, what was your ultimate goal and hopes that people would take away from this book that you that you had written? My ultimate goal was, again, speaking to girls, was that they understood that the power to move their lives forward in the direction that they want their lives to go was in their hands and that they they could do that by exploring the depths of their own spiritual connection. Hmm. And so allowing themselves to be spiritually connected and allowing themselves to look at themselves in a way that maybe they had never before. And so the whole goal was, you know, I thought, I thought spent a lot of time thinking about young girls and women and what we're going to become or what we're expected to become or what we may become. And a lot of times that's, you know, wives and moms 
or or um, eventually, you know, most of us get to this point where we're caretaking someone else uh, as we have aging parents or aging relatives or aging extended relatives. And I felt like it's a huge role to play in our society caring for so many people um, that it that you have to care for yourself first and understand really what that even is, what that even looks like. Um, and it's not something that I think historically we take a lot of time to do, you know, really look at ourselves and explore ourselves because we're too busy trying to be on the hamster wheel in this country, you know. We're right, too busy right, right, right. Trying to, make a living it's like i don't have time to sit around talking about my spirituality you know i'm trying to make a dollar you know mm-hmm. and so sure. <laughs> yeah and so um but it's it's really really crucial if for you to not only look at that these things for yourself so that you can live your best life and live the life that you want to live um despite what your history may be despite what your issues may be or have been in the past but also too if you're going to be living a life where you're connected to other people um, in any, in any way, however that manifests itself, you have to be able to connect to yourself first. I think, <laughs> you know, that, that yeah. was my thought, you know, um, that if you're going to be any good to anybody else, you have to start with yourself and you can't start with yourself if you don't know where you're coming from. Sure. No, yeah. th- and- that makes a lot of sense, and it's it's funny, uh, you know, that you say it exactly like that because especially on this radio show, uh, we get callers of folks who are in recovery and maybe they're new in recovery or they've got, you know, maybe they're got a year under their belt, so they're not brand new, but they, you know, they still have a long journey ahead of them, and we hear questions all the time where the caller is calling in, and you know, I've got I've got a family member out there who needs my assistance or. Uh, you know, right. a, a, a really good friend, uh, wh- whoever the case may be. And uh, the general context uh, that we operate out of is always, you know, if you check out a treatment early or you miss the boat on taking care of what you need to take care of to get yourself in order, then you're really not going to be a- a- any real true assistance to anybody else because you can't start helping other people until you've helped yourself. And so it's it's right. a common theme that we hear passed around uh, in this kind of, um, you know, setting all the time in this field. And so for, you know, the way you right. put that is actually really, really well stated and, and it makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think there's, it's, I think the, like what Orville was just mentioning is the spirituality aspect of it, I believe is a really crucial missing piece. And so yep. people can tell you you know, this is what you need to do and, you know, yada, yada. But, you know, there are, there are, and there are so many ways. There, it's not, spirituality is not the only way. There are so many ways um, that might click with somebody. You never know what's going to be that click, you know, with, to, with somebody to help them move forward. Um, but it's definitely one that I have felt really works with um the population I've worked with over the past 20 years, um, boys and girls, but mostly girls. Um, um, but it's something that a lot of people can relate to. And, uh, it's, I think it's a really important piece that sometimes goes, uh, missing. Absolutely. Kenya, before we let you go, 
There's mm-hmm. uh, three things we want to tell you about that we're going to plagiarize from your book. I just want to tell you right up front. Just want to be up. We just want to be honest. Uh, yeah. You have two sayings that were in there. One Ooh. is, um, and and I'm just capturing a portion of the first one about helping people to realize a life not without pitfalls but without limits. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's one. The second one mm-hmm. is about spirituality and resentment do not go hand in hand. Mm. Um, the third thing, which Mr. Producer, we're probably going to do a show on because we've done a show, a couple of shows probably, um, on forgiveness. Um, okay. But you have acceptance, forgiveness, and courage and how they tie in together. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, and the last thing, before you leave us, you absolutely have to tell us the story of Larry in the Boxes for our listeners. Oh, my God. Because did when I my say, wife and I, I put his name in the book, you did put his name, and my when wife and I read that, we absolutely howled. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, so that must have been one name that just slipped by me. Because <laughs> as I as I started going through the book, I'm like, maybe I should change a couple of these names. And so, <laughs> so yeah, so that was really interesting. So that was the day that my goddaughter was born, and she just turned 18. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I was I was on my way out the door, and the girls were playing with the box, and I started playing with them because I was always playing with my girls like a true adult, <laughs> a true, a true well, can I, can I, responsible adult. Can I just interrupt and, you for a second? Yeah, Kenya, can I interrupt yeah. you for a second? Chris, I just want to yeah. give you a little backdrop. Yeah. So this is this is daytop, obviously. And <laughs> and the girls were out by the, the dumpster or somewhere back there by the school or somewhere in that vicinity, uh, you know, doing the boxes. Oh, okay, breaking down okay. the cardboard boxes. All that stuff, right. So okay. they were that was what their job function was at that moment. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I never um, thought this story was going to ever be read by somebody who knows the people. <laughs> and so, so anyway, so we were, t- I was in a great mood because, you know, I couldn't wait to get to the hospital and my God baby was going to be born. And I am, a, I, you know, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I have eight godchildren. I am obsessed with every single one of them. And I am a my oldest godchild is 40. I became a godmother when I was like 12 years old. So I'm totally obsessed with my godchildren. Let me just say that. Mm-hmm. And so I was really excited about this one coming. <laughs> and so we're talking. Me and the girls are laughing. They're having a good time. I got in the box. We were playing in and out of the box. And, um, and I believe I left. And then I can't remember if my conversation with him happened the next day or that day. I just don't remember. Um, But it was probably the next day. And he brought me into a side room and said, you know, I saw you laughing and having a good time. And that was really irresponsible. And, you know, you were just giggling and laughing. You guys were all laughing. And I'm all, okay. You know, and I remember saying, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm 
going to be laughing with my girls. I'm going to encourage them to laugh. I'm going to continue to do what I do. And if, if being joyful is a problem, then maybe you should join us sometime. <laughs> because, you know, you're looking a little stiff over there. And so, and so, yeah, and so he, I don't know why he never bothered me about it again. He, you know, he certainly could have or, you know, or made a bigger deal out of it. But I'm like, if you're seriously telling me to stop laughing and giggling with my girls that are going through enough, you know, like, you know, no, that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. So. Two things. I think the reason Larry never bothered you again is because Larry's very smart and he realized that while that, that doesn't even make any, I'm sure even after the words left his mouth, it didn't even make any sense to him. But that was daytop. Laughing and giggling, yes. especially on your job function, was absolutely not allowed. You should yeah, know there's that, no such, right? There's, yeah, there, there's no such thing as having fun in treatment. If you're having fun, then you're not doing work. That That's clear. Yeah, so that, that was I the old me. message for sure. Yeah, I was I was definitely not abiding by that particular rule. That was the most fun I ever had at work. And mm-hmm. you know, like at the beginning when you guys were talking about New York, I remember taking the remember the whole taking the kids to to New York. Yeah, the mini Olympics. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Daytop Olympics. Yeah, and so I took eleven kids all by myself, and um, it was we had the best time ever and I remember the main thing I did was count them because I was like if I lose a kid I'm in trouble I'm going to lose my mm-hmm. job so right. I remember <laughs> counting every five seconds we got on the we got on the train I was like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven we got off the train one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven we went to <laughs> FAO Schwartz like I wanted to go to like I don't know some fancy department store or something the kids mm-hmm. were like let's go to the toy store and mm-hmm. so I'm like Okay, so we went to FAO Schwartz, <laughs> and I'm counting them, and we did groups, and we mm-hmm. just had a flawless trip. I didn't have mm-hmm. any trouble with any of those kids. I heard later on that the trip got a little bit more challenging, um, mm-hmm. but um, for for me, that that trip was fantastic, and I didn't yep. have I I didn't have one problem with those kids. <laughs> I I always um, liked knowing that people who um, didn't know what the experience really was like in terms of visiting the, you know, the the East Coast facilities would get an opportunity um, to do that. And most of them who did go, it was a, you know, they had a very wonderful experience. So, yeah, you actually, you got got to experience it to actually know what it is. But um, you should you should be happy to know that uh, we do allow laughing and joyous expression now. <laughs> well, I am so well, happy to hear that. No, that so was that was just old day top. So, um, <laughs> with all that said, Mr. Producer uh, Kenya. Uh, the title of the book yes. is Sacred Girl, Spiritual Life Skills for the Conscious Young Women, but absolutely anyone can benefit from it. I know my two daughters are going to get their own copies. By the way, they're now oh. 26 and 24, respectively. Um, wow. I yeah. just remember a picture of little girls. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and um, you can get this book anywhere. It's on Amazon and, and fine bookstores if they're still available, the, book, uh, the, the brick and yeah. mortars. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. Um, it My was pleasure. And um, best wishes and best of luck with the book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. It was so good to to talk to you again. And you too, Chris. Thank you so much for having absolutely, me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on the show. It was a really, really awesome experience uh, from our end for sure. A real treat. So thank you. Well, you guys have a great day. You All right, as well. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm, bye. Bye-bye. All right, so I, blast from the blast from the past. I I, I definitely enjoyed that. Uh, it was interesting to, like I said, hearing about her experience uh, because she worked she worked there not too long before uh, I entered the program as it was. Uh, so right. obviously she remembered the San Mateo house and Luna and all the all the things that I was a part of as a client moving right. moving over here. You know, so right. Yeah, some people forget about the San Mateo house that we had for a period of time and uh, before we, you know, condensed our operation a little bit. Because it, when we had the San Mateo house, that that was when we were at our highest adolescent capacity. I believe that was 49 total. Yeah. Uh, combined, yeah. combined kids. So can you imagine I know when I, 49, 49 kids? Uh, as a staff member, no, not yeah. at all. I know when yeah. I was a client, when I came in, our pop was 43. Right. And so I was a part of a relatively large group. But uh, looking back on what it was like to be a staff member, uh, mind you, when, when in an adolescent program, and just a quick little side note for those listening, the difference between an adolescent program and an adult program in terms of staffing is night and day. So there are ratios for foster care rates that you have to meet uh, in order to qualify for whatever kind of billing that you are going to um, be operating under. And so we were at like an eight to one ratio. And so when we cut down our program from 44 being the max to 24, and this actually happened when uh, Will E came from New York during our tight house. And, and that's a story for another day. Uh, mm-hmm. But we reduced to about 24 so we would have three staff per shift. And let me tell you, I, you know, we work, I can work a shift by myself now with a population of about 25 to 30, no problem. Well, we had three staff per shift of a population of about 17, and we were being tied in human knots. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine 49 kids. That would have been something else. Yeah. We, we, there were three staff on the shift, and that wasn't, and it was nowhere, it was like, you, you were at fifty percent capacity, staff capacity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. Uh, oh wow! You had, to, you, had, you had to have eyes in the back of your head and, and on right. the side of your head, or just, right. a, or just a roving eye. <laughs> That's it. That went, the whole that went time around, that went three hundred and sixty degrees around your skull. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh man, well that that was awesome. I, I hope the listeners obviously got something out of that. Um, cool to hear uh, a, a former staff member, a former employee who has now gone on to uh, write a book that sounds like it could touch everybody out there. So that's really 
uh, really incredible. And hopefully some of the listeners uh, or people who listen back on, on this uh, in the archives, listen to the podcast, uh, pick themselves up a book for some enlightenment because uh sounds like it's a book that has touched a wide kind of variety of individuals. Well, I don't think it can be understated how, um, you know, when, when I went into Daytop eons ago, uh, you know, I wasn't even thinking about spirituality as a component of my recovery process. It yes. wasn't until I got in there and really got into the mix that I realized that, well, this thing is not just about one area. It's the, you know, the total holistic view of the person that has to be addressed you know what I'm saying? Yep. For them to really succeed. And and the spiritual aspect of a person is usually the aspect that's left behind. That's the one that's not not enough focus is um, uh, paid attention to. And some of that is because of probably some uncomfortability in just broaching the subject. Sure, sure. But, yeah, no, I mean, it all kind of ties into the uh, – the distinct but overlapping modules of treatment, right? And spirituality yep, exactly. is definitely in there. Um, yep. But like you said, it, it can be easily overlooked and especially kind of cut from the uh, the old school cloth of Daytop where uh, really your primary focus was not going to be on anything other than uh, working hard and fixing your lazy and non-caring attitude. That's the bottom line. <laughs> Well, that's always the primary importance. <laughs> <laughs> that's because it. one of the sayings that used to be thrown around a lot, and it was true, is you know, God, God helps those who help themselves, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, if you believed in such a thing as God, that is. But um, you know, many people have come into the treatment environment, and not just our program, but all, progr- all programs, and. <laughs> They um, re, you know, they find a rebirth to their spiritual and or religious attentiveness, if you will. Um, and some of it is genuine, and some of it is not, as time has proven. Because how do we know that? Because when people go out to um, you know religious services or what have you, some people engage in very negative and destructive behavior. Even inside of the, the church or the temple or the mosque or whatever, they engage in yep. you know negative behavior, which to me is, is inappropriate. Number one, because if you have that on your mind, you know why why go to a place of worship and engage in you know certain types of behavior um, is beyond me. But you know that's another conversation. But <laughs> right, to, you know. But to my point about how you know sometimes people are in the treatment environment and they're reaching for different things, but they're not really invested in those things. Um, it's just a distraction and anything can be a distraction. So even going to church can be a distraction. You're not really into church. You're not really looking for something in church, even though you may find something, but it's just a distraction. And these things eventually will weed themselves out for lack of a better description. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's, that's historically been kind of one of the, um, I don't know, keys or strengths of not only the TC, but I guess on a greater level too, like you're talking about it, is things seeing themselves out or weeding themselves out uh, for any area where you might be one of the fish who's streaming upstream, so to speak. Right. 
Uh, yeah, that, that, that was kind of an old analogy we always used to use, right? Like if you are not going with the flow or with the current, um, you know, and swimming upstream, you're going to be doing a lot of damage to yourself and not really getting anywhere. Uh, right. so you make a decision either to swim with the stream or, you know, check out, right? And so that's kind of kind of weeding yourself out. The process has a, has a way of cleaning itself up. And we want to be clear that we're talking about in the context of treatment, not in the context of life, because sometimes in life, you know, you can purposely decide, you know, I'm going to swim upstream because this is yeah. the route that's for me, and it's a positive thing, it's constructive, but it's work, but you're willing to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we're just talking about in the treatment context. Yeah, in the treatment, in the treatment setting, right? And then that was yeah. another kind of old cliche of the TC or Daytop, uh, your best thinking got you here, right? Right. So if your way worked, you wouldn't end it up here in the first place. So why don't you, you know, buy into trying it another way? Right. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Uh, we will. Uh, if you're good with it, we're going to cut to a little music break here. I know we went over the uh, top of the hour there, but you know we yep. had a guest on and got a lot of good stuff out of that. So we do see. Uh, we've got some callers who've been patiently waiting for the Recovery Sport Time segment. Uh, hopefully uh, anyone on hold has enjoyed the show to this point. We are going to take a quick music break, and then we will get to the Recovery Sport Time segment on the other side.
Coming up next 
is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Mr. Producer. You were saying? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was Uh, about to say. (laughs) um, What was I about to say? We have, let's go, let's take our calls first. Um, We'll hit some X-Files. I know we're, we went long on the front side. Um, I do have something written down here. I want to. I want to get to. All right, let's go to. Um, who's been holding the longest? Let's go to uh, Justin. Welcome to the show. A lot of noise in the background. Justin, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good. How can we help you, sir? Justin. Uh, so my question is. Would you consider marijuana a drug? And if, is it physically addicting or mentally addicting? Marijuana is a drug. And it's not physically addicting. It's psychologically addicting. Okay. Yep. Anything else? Justin? Yes, hold on. Anything else? Oh, we have uh, other questions here. I did. Uh, no, that that. Mr. Producer. Yeah. Are you there? yeah. Oh, okay. I, I am. I am. I am in fact. <laughs> uh, unbelievable! We had to wait. Yeah! <laughs> oh man! Uh, uh, yeah. Fascinating. 
uh, we had to we had to give uh, we had to give the old Wilmington call the boot there. I'm not exactly sure what was going on there. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, shut up. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well done. Well done. May, uh, right, hopefully, let's... hopefully, our next caller will have uh, will have a little more linear thought progression. All right, let's go to uh, Jason. Welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? Good. Um, my question is, uh, <clears throat> what's the purpose of having a sponsor, and how can it benefit me for in my recovery? Um, a, a sponsor is almost like a funny you ask this question on this day because of the word I'm going to use, but a sponsor is supposed to almost be like your your recovery spirit guide. Okay. Someone that's there to kind of walk you through the process, help you out if you you know if you need to talk to somebody, things of that nature. Um, what was part the second part of your question? And how can it benefit me in my recovery? No different than having someone who is a reliable quote unquote friend and available to you in case you need them. Okay. So, so like it can be a, a benefit. A, Go ahead. So having a sponsor, you're saying is like. Kind of like a mentor or yes. somebody like that. Okay, I was just kind of curious because I'm new in the recovery, and um, I was told in the meeting that I went to that you know get sponsored, work the steps, uh, okay. and I didn't really know about what the whole purpose of having a sponsor was for. So now I have more of a better understanding. So I, I thank you for that. Can I add something else to that? Sure. Anybody who fits the who does that role anyone can be a, can be quote unquote your sponsor okay okay it doesn't okay. have to be someone who is officially tied or plugged into AANA or anything like that it's anyone who's there to positively support you in your recovery process can be a sponsor exactly your sponsor okay. not a sponsor Fine. your sponsor cuz it's Fine. individual and specific to you okay Okay. Thank you so All much. Right. You have a good night. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Mr. Producer? Yes, sir. So one of the reasons why I wanted to emphasize that was because historically what we've done, you and I specifically, but in the larger context um, as a philosophy is – we always support, we advocate for people, especially if they're participating in the 12, 12 steps to support their recovery, that they, uh, um, if they can, that they get someone, a sponsor, to support them. Um, and as the gentleman who called said, um, and mentor them. Um, but we also simultaneously that want to make it clear that it doesn't have to be a card-carrying, you know, certified, you know, member of AA or NA that can only do that job. You right, know, it can be right. any, anyone who says, hey, you know what, I'm going to be there for you. I want to support you in your recovery. Um, and they, they, may, they may or may not have some recovery knowledge and or experience. For me, it's really about are they going to be there to support you, a positive support and, and, and mentor and role model for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, hey, while well, we got some time, let's hit some X-Files. Let's do it. I'll, I will uh, screen our next couple of calls here. All right. 
So we got um, Roderick from San Bruno's asking, why do people who are in recovery and active keep relapsing when problems arise? That's a great question because one of the things that um, a member of the public may often ask is they hear about people who relapse more often than they hear about the success stories. Um, I don't know why that is, so I'm not going to speculate. But um, people sometimes, you know, relapsing is not like an accidental occurrence. It's ultimately a decision that somebody has made and the end result is that they have begun to use again. Or I should say they've made a series of decisions with the end result being that. Um, so oftentimes, you know, sometimes these things can be triggered by specific events or it can be triggered by something as simple as they're not ready. <laughs> so they may have started the recovery process, but they really weren't buying in. You know, it could be some external motivation that was present at the time, and they, you know, but internally they really weren't ready. Um, and so once the external motivation goes away um, and the internal doesn't take up the motivation, you know, a person may decide to resume back the old lifestyle. So sometimes if a person is in recovery and they are vested in recovery, um, but they have not achieved what me and Mr. Producer like to call the flip, that internal flip where you have, you know, kind of within yourself determined that you are no longer invested in your previous lifestyle, you are now invested in your future positive and constructive lifestyle, and that's where all of your energies are devoted. So relapsing is no longer even in your, you know, the context of your, your, your existence anymore, your life. Right, right. So when, if, if trouble, whatever, however trouble is defined, does come your way, um, where there is an emotional upset for one reason or another, um, the person who has done made the flip and who is invested um, can usually survive that. The instinct won't be to fall back on an old way of dealing with their emotions, i.e. medicating them. That won't be the instinct. The instinct will be to use the tools that they've acquired through their recovery process, whether that's reaching out to people, whether that, you know, whatever the whatever that person has determined and 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 kind of nurtured within themselves to help them deal with things that happen in their life. <clears throat> but medicating those feelings is no longer an option, and it's no longer an, inst an instinctive reactionary option either. And because of that, it allows time for, excuse me, <clears throat> you know, the brain to come into play, thinking to come into the process, and for them to sort out and sort through what they're feeling and identify what they're feeling and then take the necessary steps to constructively 
and positively deal with those emotions, no matter what they may be. So someone who hasn't reached that yet, someone who hasn't bought into that, they're not going to successfully navigate that. Right. And and right. so they may instinctively go back to whatever felt comfortable for them, which is, you know, medicating their feelings and avoiding dealing with things, you know, that may come up in their life. And relapse is, is a part of that. So that's why it's important for us as, you know, as providers that when relapse does occur in terms of really look, trying to get an understanding of what actually transpired with that specific person, because everybody is different. Um, and then that's really the key to developing a plan to counterbalance that if it come, you know, if something comes up again. There's obviously a weakness there. Now, the only weakness that we can't work with, and when I say we can't work with, it doesn't mean we don't want to. It just means that we have less control over the the person who they're just not ready. And it's okay for them to be not ready. And it's okay for us as providers to acknowledge that and accept that, that there's nothing we can do about that. You know, we can't put them in a headlock and say, you know, you need to get ready. You need to get ready. No, we can't do that. That doesn't work. So for those people, relapses, you know, is a part of it. That is absolutely yeah. accurate. Until yep. you reach that, yeah, we've we've said it on several shows. You got to reach that mental space where that is. It, it's not even an option any longer. It's almost not even given any consideration. So even even putting it on the list of no longer an option uh, feels kind of funny because that the list is gone. It, it's, right. It's it's you don't need the it doesn't list. appear on anything. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The instinct has changed to something else, which, at the least, is constructive. Um, right. So, using doesn't even enter the equation to even be considered and shot down. <laughs> so, right. Right. And that's where we want everyone to get to. Ultimately. All right. I think we uh, beat that one up. Uh, let's uh, go to uh, James. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me on the show. Yep. Um, if you are in a re- if you are in recovery, why does life where people try to make you relapse not by the use of drugs, but decisions that can be harmful of your freedom and recovery? And what would the tools you would consider? to not making a decision that can be fatal. All right, let's kind of break your question back down a little bit because it's, okay. it's it's a long one. Okay. So let's take re- repeat the first half of a question of a question. If you are in recovery, why does life or people try to make you relapse and not by the use of drugs? But just by virtue of the environments they that they may put you in and things of that nature? Situations. Or, yeah, or a decision that, like, like they try. I guess temptation of okay. trying to make a decision. Okay. I like to call that the nouns. N o u n s. The nouns. You know what the nouns are? No. People. 
places okay. and things. Yeah, and things. And yes. The nouns. So, ultimately, most of the time, not all of the time, obviously, you, the person in recovery, is in control of the nouns, the people, places, and things. Those very rare occasions when you are not in control and you just happen to find yourself, you know, presented, you know, with the nouns by no purposeful act of your own. But, you know, hey, you were hanging out with a group of people, you all, you know, hopped in the car, and we're going someplace, and boom, you end up in a bad environment. What we hope is that if that happens, that the person is able to use their best judgment, their best decision-making to make a bad situation as, you know, a negative situation as positive as possible, meaning that they're not going to do anything to make the situation worse by virtue of their bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Follow me? Mm-hmm. Because you, you're going to find yourself in certain circumstances and situations by no doing of your own and you're still going to have to be able to make good decisions in order to either survive it or to get yourself out of it in a, in a constructive way. So, you know, we're not really fans of, you know, laying, laying the blame at the feet of others. We like to take responsibility and for, you know, nine-tenths of the time, we're, we're responsible for our predicament. Mm-hmm. So that's decisions you make and so on and so forth. That one-tenth of the time where, you know, we're, you know, it's just, you know, we just find ourselves someplace or in, a, in you know, with someone or in somewhere, uh, you do the best that you can. You certainly don't go out of your way to make it worse by making, you know, bad decisions. But one thing is certain, one thing we do know for a fact, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter who you're with, no one can make you relapse if you don't want to. But I mean by like, I understand, I understand what you're saying, because you're not just saying relapse as in use of drugs. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. I understand what you're saying. Basically. Yep. You know, a word is a word, um, stuff like that, right? Like, don't let your pride get in, get in front of, I guess your, you know, the blessing you have in front of you, something to that nature. Take responsibility for making good decisions. Understanding that you can't control 100% everything, but so if you end up in a bad situation, you can still make good decisions to not make it worse. Right. What's the second part of your question again? Basically, your answer was that. Okay. What would you consider for tools to not make a decision that can be fatal? Right. And basically, to make the best judgment and make good decisions either to survive or get away from the situation. Exactly. Okay. Thank you once again, sir. All right. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Yep. Goodbye. Mr. Producer, back to the X-Files. Yes, indeed. Um, Yolanda from Marin. Recently, I had a baby, 
Congratulations. My husband and I used to drink together, but I stopped for fear of tainting my milk. He keeps pressuring me to drink. What should I do? Hmm. How how unfortunate that uh, dad would want mom to do something and engage in something that's going to have a negative impact on Junior. Yeah. And I'm I'm using Junior not to be uh, gender specific, just to be general. Or Juniorette. Junior or Juniorette. Um, so that's unfortunate. But uh, Mom has to just hold the line. Simple as that. That's right. Mom Mom knows. Mom knows what's best. And uh, follow your intuition there uh, in this new journey, you know. Uh, you, you are uh, you're embarking in a new kind of chapter in life. And uh, you got to, I mean, I guess with everything, you, you know, you boil it down to even what we preach here, but you got to follow your gut. If you know that it's not right or not something that doesn't feel okay, that that is just what it is. You know, I'm sure it is very disappointing because I, I would say, you know, it's one thing, you know, if okay, you're the dad. And, you know, you still continue to have a drink here and there. I mean, that's okay. Um, But to try to, you know, engage your wife, who's obviously breastfeeding, to do the same, you know, what does that say about you? You know, so you don't care about her. You don't care about the child. Um, All all that's important is that you all get to share a drink. The ramifications of that drink doesn't have any meaning. So imagine what the conflict that's within her, you know, because obviously she feels that because hence, you know, asking it, but the conflict that's within her about, wow, you know, not only my husband, but my the father of my children, of my child, um, asking me or, or, you know, does she say pressuring? Um, but I stop, uh, but he, oh yeah, he keeps pressuring me, pressuring her to, to drink. Makes it even worse. He's pressuring. So, I would say that sounds more like a, a person that's not, you know, drinking every now and then, but that's, you know, drinking a lot, because that would—that's the only thing I can think that could explain that level of 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 you know lack of concern and care for her and and the child. Right. That's the only thing I can think of. But no, she has to hold the fort, hold the hold the line, and uh, as uh, Nancy Reagan used to say, just say no. That's right. So, uh, does that say low up there? The name low. Sure does. <laughs> All right, let's go to. Uh, Low from South San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, yes. How can so I help you? My question. Yeah, I have. I have a question um, uh, that is relative to uh, a situation I'm in, and I'm wondering um, if it is possible 
and in what way might a person who is already sober find benefit in entering a treatment program, a residential treatment program? What would be the definition of sober, already sober? Um, uh, not, not using illicit substance or drinking for a significant period of time. Okay. So your question would be, a person described like that, what benefit could they get from being in a program if they happen to be in a program? Yeah, or or if they're not in a program but they are sober and considering entering a program or um or um being uh being met with some uh some circumstances that are leading them to uh enter a program. Okay. So we've always said for I don't know how many years, Mr. Producer, that you know there are many programs out there, ours included, that people who aren't addicted to drugs can benefit from. And the reason we say that is because uh, the abuse of substances is not the problem that programs deal with. That's just a symptom of the problems that they want to help people deal with. And most programs don't spend time focused on the symptom. They address this, a residential program addresses a symptom in one major way, which is they remove a person from one environment and put them in another environment. And usually that environment should be drug-free and safe environment. So they're away from wherever they used to be where they had access, easy access, let's say, et cetera, et cetera. So now now they're not using drugs. They're not using any other substances, alcohol or what have you. By the way, when I say drugs, I mean everything, okay? So they're not using drugs, okay? And so one of the things I used to say when, when once we took care of that, you're now in a, in a separate place, a safe environment. Now, what's your problem? And, of course, most people don't know the answer to that question, and they shouldn't know. But what the answer is, is the problem is everything else, not the drugs. So let's go find out what everything else is. So that's why even okay. if a person has had, you know, it has clean time, the question I would ask them is, okay, during this time that you've been clean, have you been have you addressed the issues that contributed to your previous drug use? And if the answer is yes, I would follow it up with some more questions. If the answer is no, then I would say, well, that's what you can focus on in a program, is that the things that have contributed to you using. Because in and, order to um, help someone, the first thing you've got to do is get them to stop. Yeah, okay, so if a person's not using, um, what if they are? What if they don't know how to identify with those factors that contribute that's, to their using? That's, how, that's what a program should then help them do. Uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Most, so people, don't, most people don't know. 
Yeah, well, that that's that's why I thought it was a good question to ask because yeah. um, I know there's more to it than uh, than just the actual substance abuse. Um, for instance, my experience in recovery, I'm aware that um, you a person can begin to relapse before they ever pick up a substance abuse. It's a um, it's a process, and so just by not using just by being sober doesn't mean that you're um uh that you're in recovery absolutely you hit the nail on the head okay great yeah all right all right sounds um, good well i hope that i hope that was helpful to uh the listeners and um i know it, that helped define the answer for me. So um, uh, I wish everyone uh, um, wish everyone well, and um, hope that was beneficial to everyone. Thank you. It was. It was an absolute fantastic question. Great. All right. No. All right. Thank All right. you. Have a great night. You too. Bye bye. Bye. I think it was an excellent question. Um kinda you know, it, it ticks a lot of ticks a lot of boxes. Um and the idea of you can you know, you can be uh you can have like clean time but not be in recovery so to speak and right. uh a lot of kind of theoretical stuff there. And I'll tell you, we ended on a doozy because we're right up against it. So I'm gonna give you thirty seconds to sign off and then we're gonna catch folks two weeks from now. Yep. Um, I can't think of anything. I know I had something, but you know, you 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 always push me up against the clock. That's it. Hey, somebody's got to keep us on track here. So that you know, it's an ugly job, but somebody's got to do it. But we do we do want to remind our our list. We do want to remind folks that this was our last podcast on Blog Talk, and that we're gonna move, be moving over to Spreaker S P R E A K E R, and um, we'll keep everybody informed as we go through our testing process and all of that stuff. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Well, we want to give a quick thank you to everybody who called in today, uh, who just wanted to listen to the show, uh, folks who called in to participate to the, in the Recovery Sport Time segment, uh, and always uh, continued support that we receive from folks listening into the through the archives of the podcast. We want to give a special thanks to Kenya, our special guest today, uh, for sharing some time with us to go over the book that she wrote. We hope everybody gets a chance to get out there and pick up a copy and read it. Uh, We will be back in a couple of weeks, as the host said, on a different platform, but we are still going to be doing the same thing. Uh, And so we look forward to getting out there, hopefully, with some uh, more technical prowess or fewer technical difficulties, as it were. We wish everybody a productive couple of weeks, a fun and safe couple of weekends, and we will catch everybody on the other side.
You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.